Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 476 with Adam Johnson. And I just think everyone just needs to make sure that they're kind of asking like these, like, these, these questions of how are these credit card rates going to actually affect me in the next five years? And maybe it makes sense for someone who doesn't have any money and is literally just trying to get selling, you know, scrapping to put together enough money to buy a, a POS in the first place to use something like Square for a little while. But once you transition into the place where you're doing larger numbers and you have larger ticket averages, you got to start thinking like, hey, if you don't have the, you know, Square is also pretty re- fairly reasonable and they have their own fees, um, which, which can add up and they have their own problems. Um, but as a purely on the processing side, you really need to make sure that you're thinking about how that plays out. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable you can get a $50 gift card when you qualify that's cabbage with a k line of credit is subject to credit approval c terms and conditions all cabbage business loans are issued by celtic bank a utah chartered industrial bank member fdic what's sorcery sorcery is ap automation digital invoicing and time and money saved that's Sorcery. Sorcery allows you to streamline and digitize your entire accounts payable operation. Digital invoicing backed with human verification will save you countless hours of work and increase AP accuracy. Say goodbye to your file cabinets and enter the digital world. Go to GetSorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com or call 1-866-830-0691. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you will receive 10% off your first three months with no setup fees. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Adam Johnson. My man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Yeah, it's early in the morning, so this early morning, I'm always feeling pretty unstoppable. Nice. That is what we like to hear. And originally from Denver, Colorado, Adam Johnson made the move to New York City when he turned 21 to pursue a career in music. The music thing didn't work out, and a chef friend convinced him to work for free, which he did. I don't know why. But before long, Adam found himself chasing a career in hospitality. Today, Adam serves as the COO of a small restaurant group called Red Hook Lobster Pound, which also operates Rockaway Clam Bar between the two concepts. They operate five locations, and Adam, I can't wait to dive into your story to find out how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us? Uh, thank you, Eric. Excited to, to be here. Um, Excited to have so you. The, a quote that kind of I think keeps coming back to my head. Like, um, yeah, hard choices, easy life, easy choices, hard life. Essentially meaning to me, it's like if you, sometimes you got to make the hard decisions uh, up front and, the, and those kind of continue to play out in your life. And I've, seen made some bad choices in my life and, and or some easy choices and uh seeing how those have gone and and 
I try to try to remind myself to make the right decision every day. Man, that's a great way to get this thing started. And uh, really, I don't like dive into that a little more. I feel like I'm I'm I don't know if the coffee hasn't hit yet, uh, but <laughs> really dive into how that has helped you in your life. Maybe I'm just a little slow. Um, so like I guess a uh, couple examples. I think a lot of people fall into, myself included. Um, easy choice. Uh, the easy choice would be, uh, you know, you don't have enough, you don't have a lot of money. You're broke. Uh, your friends are calling you up, say, Hey, come out and, and let's drink or let's go to dinner. And, and the hard choice there is like to say, no, and say, I don't have the money. I really need to hunt it down. Easy choice is to say, you know what? Fuck it. I will, uh, I'll put the credit card down and go out and I'll figure it out later. Yeah. And, uh, and I did a lot of that early on and ended up deep in, in credit card debt and, took me a long time to get out of that but i did I, I focused on it um and got out of it but you know it's one of those things it's like that's a hard decision not to not to overspend but that's one of those things that a lot of people uh struggle with you know throughout their entire lives kind of getting out of that cycle yeah another 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 way would be if you have a a an employee who who you know isn't working out or you know isn't dedicated and uh, instead of letting that person go immediately because, because you know that saying, Oh, we're, we're, you know, I really need that person today. We just need bodies in the kitchen. Um, not making that, that decision now. And then you've got a huge day coming up and that guy just no shows on you. All of a sudden now you are, you're really, you're really screwed. Um, so a couple of examples. No, those are good, man. Uh, listening to you talk, I can't help but think of the quote, live your life like no one else is willing to so you can live the rest of your life like no one else can. And it's like that discipline of making those hard choices. Uh, like no one else is willing to make these choices to live like this, but you're setting yourself up for the future so you can live like no one else can uh, and, and have that kind of fun that you wouldn't have been able to when you were younger. You know what I mean? Absolutely. All right. Great way to get this thing started. And um this whole way that we met was really kind of cool. And you're actually, like, I, I want to say like the second or third person, I'm probably more than that, honestly, now uh, that has reached out to me um, as a listener on the show who also haps, happens to be somebody who's, you know, really doing well in their career and is a leader within their own restaurant group uh, and somebody who's worth making an example of. But you reached out to me because of, uh, well, well, originally we started talking about of the POS systems that you're using in your restaurant and uh, something I personally want to learn more about the different options. Like I know the most recommended POS platforms out there, but I don't really know how they stack up next to each other. And you being somebody who uses both, who uh, had some opinions on both of those platforms, which were uh, Toast and uh, Square, uh, I wanted to find out w- w- how they stack up next to each other. You like both of them. Uh, they both have certain strengths and weaknesses we'll get into that later uh but also just listening to your story like I, I got the whole story of your life and how you got into the industry and i was like this is a we were on the phone for like an hour and 45 minutes of that was talking about how you, it was like a mini episode i was like i, I want to get this guy on the show uh he has some yeah. great stories he's a he's somebody who's worth being made an example of so and here you are and um i guess let's kind of like recreate that conversation so uh where you know where did it all start for me you're from denver colorado yeah, so I, I grew up in, in Denver um, playing playing music. I was playing the bass player and or being a bass player at the time, and uh, uh, with my brother out there. And we, you know, at some point we decided we really wanted to do this band thing. I I was kind of dabbling in in graphic uh, design school, and uh, and and was thinking about thinking about possibly 
think I told you this. Think about possibly doing maybe coding. I was interested in computers. Yeah, I was like I was like 18 at the time, and, and then I figured it was too late because like, you know I know I knew like these, <laughs> there's like these there's like these 15 year old you know hackers out there. Anyway, I was completely it shows how skewed my perspective was obviously <laughs> at that time. Um, oh man! So you don't we, want to go back in time, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, we, at the, uh, when I turned 21, we, we decided to move the the band to to New York City. So this band, you were doing a lot of traveling with it. It was a pretty successful band. I mean, that enabled you to to go around the country and to play. Uh, you want to dive into a little bit more about that experience? Yeah. So we we, we toured a lot. Um, we were able to fortunate enough to to. Uh, really had some, some cool experiences and we got to, to play with some, some bands that we, uh, you know, sort of idols of ours. What we, bands? I'm curious. So we were played with, so we Everclear, we toured with Everclear for a little while. That's cool. Um, we toured with one of our favorite bands, which is lesser known called, called ours. Um, like we played with a band called Chevelle. Um, anyway, so back, you know, this is back in the day, but, yeah. uh, yeah. And, and more bands than that but we really got to have some some pretty cool experiences um and during the when the traveling thing really started the touring thing really kind of started taking off we toured for uh, almost straight for at least a couple years um i kind of took over the the tour management part of it okay which was booking the all logistics booking the hotel rooms and um dealing with the the money and merchandise selling and uh the social media portion of things as well as uh, the, I mean, there's a lot that goes into to to touring. You really, it's, it's similar, as I found out later, similar to you know the restaurant. Business. Yeah, in the sense that like everybody wants to be like a rock star and everybody wants to be a restaurant owner, and it looks like a lot of fun. But there's a lot of things behind the the scenes that you don't see. The, a lot of the moving parts, logistics that go behind and into it all. Um, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. A lot of these, I mean, these bands. I think there's someone like me and almost in almost every successful band because um, I may not have been the best musician, but I did take, I did take over a lot of those, those duties. And it really comes down to also like a, like a restaurant. It's, it's 90% or 99% of the work comes in beforehand. It's really about, you know, mise and plus, mise and plus, mise and plus. Even in the band, it's like, it's no, it's knowing that we have to have an extra battery in the van. we got to have an extra spare tire in the van. We have to have a jack, that is good. That can, yeah, a, a jack that can pop that thing up really quickly and, and change it so that, cause, so we don't miss a show. Um, it's having backup of everything when you're on stage. What happens if this happens? What happens if this happens? What happens if this happens? Because you only got 45 minutes up there for us on most of these big shows. And, and you know, something goes wrong and, and, and we lose half our set. So we, we, we really started to dial in how to how to function as a as a professional band and make sure, make the most of all of all these opportunities and I and I we started all to really enjoy this in particular to me but it feels really good when when you uh, just like a really crazy service where you know a bunch of things go wrong but you still end up you still end up having a great service and like overcoming those those obstacles. It, it actually adds to the enjoyment. So when someone breaks a guitar string or their amplifier goes out, but you have a plan for that and you execute that and it seems seamless to, to the audience. But actually I got a huge kick out of that. Um, and I think those kind of things carried, you know, 
became, and then along with the management of some of our, we had a small staff at the time too. This a lot of what you reminds me of um, somebody who was just on the show. The episode went live yesterday, uh, which will be two days ago when this goes live. Uh, Mike um, Milan was talking about, or Mylan, sorry, Mike Mylan was talking about just being a problem solver and how that's where he really loves to shine. And he, the same mentality of uh, being prepared, taking away the excuses not to go on stage for him. It was uh, he created a, uh, a a company around uh, staffing, and what he his whole thing was creating. Uh, excuses for people not to show up to work. So he would make it so, you know, there was no reason why you couldn't come to work so he could staff all these restaurants or hotels. But he was actually just caring for these people, uh, making sure there's a company car or having a, a Rolodex of babysitters and like, you know, having those backup plans. Like just the, the I guess the point I'm trying to make is the, the important, the importance of having those backup plans, being proactive and being a problem solver. It's such a crucial skill set in this industry. And it really, I had to just put emphasis on that because it really sh- shined out. Or shown, no, absolutely. Shown that's, out that's is I think exactly. what I should have said there. Shown out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's exactly that's exactly what it what it is. Um, and yeah, I think if, if you're a problem solver in any field, I mean, restaurants restaurants are no different. There's always tons of in fact. There's tons of problems in restaurants because of the kind of the, the customer facing side of things, and the, there's a real um, immediacy about about um, service. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. So. Um, <clears throat> Really dive into like I think the 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 biggest ways you grew during this time these this few years on the road as a manager uh, as an entrepreneur. What were the biggest lessons you learned about yourself and just success in general? Uh, I guess I guess I learned that I one thing I learned is I got I really did get a kick out of um, problem solving. And and coming up with with systems, and uh, and I also really enjoyed, like I said, I really enjoyed when it, when things would go wrong, but we would we would still have a what appeared to be a, a really good really good show. And I really enjoyed when the when the car would get a, a flat tire and we we'd take us five minutes. <laughs> um, and I I think that I didn't actually realize this at the time. I was really only looking back that I realized that I possessed a lot of, I possessed a lot of uh, different skills that were applicable to a lot of different things. So I, I, I could repair I can kind of, re- if I can't repair a car, I can tell you what's wrong with the car. Um, I can, uh, I'm pretty good with computers. I'm pretty good with, I haven't, I know enough about graphic design to get, to get that stuff kind of done too. Um, I'm pretty good with, with numbers um, uh, as well. And uh, I guess it's sort of a rare combination. I have a creative side, and I also have – I'm not a numbers person, but I, I can put together a pretty good Excel sheet, and I understand. Um, yeah, and I think, I think the other thing I learned was that when you're doing something for yourself, even if something that seems as fun as being in a band, it is so much, so much work. And there's no one, there really is no one else there to, to tell you to get up in the morning and, and – and, you know, hey, you got to get up and you got to do this. It's really up to you to, to to keep pushing those those things along. And it's it's uh it's a lot of work. So you really have to really have to love it. I mean, music industry is a horrible industry to be in. I think it's even worse <laughs> now. But we we were kind of in it right as it was really really starting to to change. Um, we came along at, at absolutely not the not the best time because everyone wasn't sure what was going on with with music, which made it a, a difficult. This time. is around the time but of again, Napster, you just really love it. 
It was after Napster. It was kind of like when all the, I mean, this is basically when all the record companies were kind of starting to be like, what the heck's going on with this? And like, are we going to fight? They were starting to fight all the, you know, the MP3 stuff yeah. that was coming around. And, People and can't make just, money on the records funds. anymore. Yeah, exactly. And is it this, is this around the time that you have your chef friend who's like, Hey, come work for me for free. Yeah. So in around, around that time period, it became not obvious, but it was, it started to be like, Hey, I probably need to, to start pursuing something else. Um, because you know, we just weren't, we were shooting for a very, like I said, it's a very tough industry. We're shooting for the goal of, Hey, I want to try to make a living playing music, which is very difficult to do. I thought, you know what? I really like food. Uh, I should go to culinary school and learn, learn to cook. I, so I just spoke with a, a chef friend of mine, a really talented chef who was opening up a, a new restaurant. And he said, listen, he said, you don't want to go to culinary school. He said, first of all, you're going to, you're not going to like work in the restaurants. You're not cut out for it. You're going to get in there and, and hate it. Um, so don't go blow a bunch of money on culinary school, um, which is what he did. Um, he said, come, come work for me and see what you think. And then you can kind of make a decision of what you want to do from there. He's like, but you're just going to be cut out for it. So, uh, so I actually broke my foot around that time. So he opened up the restaurant without, without me there. And I came in after about, it was probably in the first month or two that the restaurant was open. And he really started me, you know, I didn't wash dishes, but I did everything else besides that. I spent a lot of time cleaning sweet breads and breaking down chickens and shucking oysters and pickling lots of uh, vegetables and uh, he, and just kind of learning the, the, you know, the, the vocabulary of restaurants, which I had absolutely no idea. He'd tell me to go downstairs and get a, a two inch full pan or a two inch <laughs> half pan or and I, was, I literally had no idea what any of these things meant. Um, so learning those things, uh, learning how to, how to cut, learning about mise en place and, and um, the, the whole thing. There's, I mean, it can go on and on forever. Started out with, with mostly prep and moved on. I uh, started working on the line a little while after that. And at some point uh, made him start paying me, <laughs> asked him to start paying me. And I was, at that time, I was getting like $90 shift pay. I think when I first started, it was back in the day where you could do shift pays. Yeah. Which is not that much after a 15 hour day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think it was making 90, yeah, like a $90 shift pay. So it was, it ended up being very little, but again, it was not, it was, a, it was totally about the experience for me here. And I don't think I would have gotten that kind of experience. There is a huge lesson in that. Maybe we should wait for this uh, siren to get <laughs> further I'm away. Sorry about that. No, it's all right. I'll just talk over it. I'm loud enough. Maybe not. That thing's getting louder. Now it's driving away. It's driving away now. We're good. So, <laughs> so go get experience. Go work in the industry. Don't assume because you love food that you love eating food. If you're a human, you probably love eating food. It's one of those things we all need to survive. So you're not alone there. Make sure you actually like doing the work uh, of putting yourself through that abuse of, you know, if you can endure endure that and still wake up wanting more than maybe you are cut out for the industry but don't find that out after you've invested a hundred thousand dollars going to the cia like really make sure this is right for you because you don't want to be stuck in a situation where you resent your career you want to if you're going to make it in this industry you got to show up every day embracing the process loving the work and as, as soon as you lose that love for the work you're not going to be able to make it you're going to be miserable so there's a huge Absolutely. lesson in that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I think a hundred percent. I mean, before we get into anything, you should if you can kind of dip your toe in it somehow and see what it, see what it actually feels like before you jump headfirst into a a two year school program or, or more uh, or drop a bunch of money on something. Absolutely. Uh, it's totally worth, totally worth doing. Okay. So what was the next step for you? What you, what you said you spent, uh, it was around 80 or sorry, uh, 2008, 2009, you started transitioning into the, the food and beverage world. Uh, how long were you at this restaurant before moving on to the next opportunity? So I was at that restaurant for, God, and I was probably there for about three months or so, three or four months. Um, to start before I had the idea to, I was like, I told, I told my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, uh, Hey, we should, we should do a food truck. We should move to an Island somewhere and we'll do a food truck. You know, that was, so that was my, that was my new idea <laughs> at the time. Food trucks were like, just kind of getting, getting started. Yeah. Um, so just started to pop, pop up in LA um, and now in New York, there's literally just the first like artisanal food trucks were starting to pop up. So, so this, that's kind of where I made my next diversion. I continued to work at that other restaurant, you know, during this time, but I said, okay, I need to get a job on a food truck. If I'm going to do this, I have to learn, I have to learn, you know, what's different about food trucks compared to restaurants and the ins and outs of that. So in New York city, you're required to have a, a mobile vending license, which is actually kind of a pain in the butt to get. I didn't really even realize this at the time, but I, so I said, okay, so I'm going to get my mobile vending license first thing before I even look for a job. So I went through a bunch, jumped through a bunch of hoops. You have to, as, even as an individual, get a certificate to collect sales tax and a bunch of other strange, uh, weird things. Uh, so I went and got, I went through and I did all that, got my, my food truck license and then went to interview uh, to uh, work on some of these food trucks. And I ended up being one of the only people that had a food vend, uh, a mobile food vending license who was interviewed. So I got hired by all four, all four trucks. And I ended up going uh, with a, a food truck concept, which was Mexican barbecue uh, um, fusion uh, called Mexico. All right. So anything that we should know uh, about any lessons working in the food truck, we should know about before, uh, you get this job with Red Lobster Pound or any other jobs that came in between those opportunities that we should know about? Yeah, I the food truck really brought together the the music touring side of things and the restaurant side of things. It was really a, a, a perfect match between those two. Obviously, I knew a lot about traveling trucks, repairing trucks, yeah. and all those all those kinds of things, and what all that goes into a moving and moving vehicle uh, and a little bit about restaurants at the same time too. So it really, it was more about putting together um, systems there. And that's kind of really where I also honed my management skills and, uh, and really realized the complexities of the truck and how much, how important it was because the thing could break down at any moment or someone could lose the keys or uh, it could rain and, and no one would show up. Uh, there's a hundred things that can go wrong with a the restaurant. There's a, you know, another 500 things that can go wrong with a restaurant on wheels. So I really, I really learned how to, how to, how to put systems in place to alleviate the amount of 4am phone calls or, uh, or even 7am phone calls because the trucks, trucks are long days. It takes a ton of, a ton of work 
goes into uh, food trucks. I don't think people realize how much actual work they are. Um, and we were running, we were, we were very, we were very busy. And um, so as far as lessons, yeah, it's like just, I've learned a lot about how to systematize everything and, and put a plan in place. Where'd you learn that? Was that just an in- instinctual thing or did you read a book or did, did you get information from someone or somewhere to, to learn how to do that? I made most of the things up uh, myself. Uh, I really, I mean, just drawing from the experience in, in music and drawing from experience of the restaurant and, and, and saying, okay, these are, I think I kind of ended up where a lot of people ended up now, which is, figuring out how to, okay, we have to put pars together. We have to have a sheet that calculates, uh, calculates all our pars for us automatically so that if I'm not there. Yeah. Uh, I don't have to, you know, I can rely on someone else. Um, and really, I mean, it's just a problem solving thing, figuring out where the pain points are and saying, okay, is there a better way to do this? Yeah. How can we, how can no, it kind of reminds me of that, that line from the e-myth, you know, you got to create, uh, system dependent operations, not people dependent operations. And when you have to be there to dictate every little thing, uh, then it's a people dependent operation and you need to create the systems or you need to recreate yourself in those systems. So people rely on the systems, not you. Uh, very yes. big lesson there. So what was the next step for you? Evolutionary? Like, like you, how many years did you, or how many months did you spend at the food truck? So we went from the one food truck. We had the one food truck for, I want to say about, two years and then we we got another food truck so at this point now i'm managing two food trucks uh, so i got to go through the process of actually designing this this truck and, and making the changes and trying to make the whole the whole operation more efficient which was, which was really cool uh then i then it really became okay now i'm managing two food trucks at the time i luckily had the systems from the one food truck it was it was fairly easy to kind of step into a management role for both of those uh, and then and because I was able to do that, I was I then kind of handed that off as we opened up the fr- our first brick and mortar store and I started managing the, the brick and mortar location. Uh, and it also happened both to be like our, our commissary at the time too. So I started getting a lot of experience with commissaries and, and transferring uh, food. And, and, and this is when I kind of, when I really started learning about food costs and how, uh, how that plays into really plays into uh, to the numbers and not and also yeah. commissaries and how commissaries play into the numbers, which is so much more complicated than it, than I it actually <laughs> seems on paper. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, well, I mean, not getting too complicated, but what, what's the, what's the, 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 uh, the thing that complicates that. So this could be a long conversation. So <laughs> maybe we I shouldn't think, go down this path. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll go over quickly. I think one thing that people just don't realize is how, how consuming commissaries can be. They really take a lot of labor. I don't think that they're, as a rule, they're incredibly efficient. So you, I really think you have to have, you really, really, really have to need one. You have to be able to say, we cannot operate because, uh, because we have to have a commissary because we're doing so much, commissary because we're doing so much volume. At the time we had really two food trucks, a catering business, and a brick and brick and mortar store, which is really kind of four locations. I just don't think that was enough. I really think you got to be in like the six, the six plus location. So you're, what you're saying is to, you to weren't in you weren't in the position where you needed a commissary yet. You could have probably gone a little bit longer. Well, we we needed one because we were a food truck. Um, 
so we couldn't actually prepare barbecue on the truck. Like this stuff had to had to smoke overnight. Yes, and 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 our brick and mortar location that we we opened also didn't have a kitchen. So it was really like cooking the barbecue. So we had to cook the barbecue somewhere and then bring it either onto the food truck. Or but the you had the food locations. trucks way before the the brick and mortar and, uh, and the catering, right? Like where yes. where were you doing this before the conversation? Originally, we were originally we were doing it in like a pizza. In like a back of a pizza shop, basically. so like you were really basically just, some some pizza shop was contracting the space at night, so you could go in and cook, and then you would be done, and they would come in and start the pizza day. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Which which had you know a slew of its own problem. Once we we really started ramping up production, and like I said, we moved to the two food trucks and the brick and mortar location, and the plan was to open up more locations as well. So like, hey, we'll get a commissary, um, but it it turns out, in my opinion, that. It, it's again, it's very difficult to make a commissary efficient. And we can talk about this maybe a little bit more as it pertains to Red Hook Lobster Pound too. We also have a commissary, but I think that when you really start running the numbers and again, it's difficult to say who pays for the commissary, how did the, 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 which, how does each unit pay into the commissary to make sure that the commissary isn't, uh, you know, isn't losing money. And then the logistics and, of moving food, uh, the cost of transport, the cost of, insurance on the vehicles the the monthly expenses of just paying for the vehicles like it starts to add up absolutely and that, so, so yeah, you hit the nail on the head there's so much you need a person to manage the commissary mm-hmm. maybe two people to manage the commissary um all those the, 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 the all the costs that go associated with the building the electricity all those things start to start to really add up quickly and i think it's almost it's so so difficult and you really have to be in the right in the right space to make yeah. a commissary work. Okay. Um, I was just speaking from someone who's had now I've been in business with two commissaries. Um, Mexico uh, is now has basically done away with their commissary and is only going to locations that, that they can sort of produce on site. Okay. Um, and at Red Hook Lobster Pound, um, we're also, we're sort of doing the same thing just because it, it, the costs at the end of the day are so huge at the, at the commissary side. You really, it really adds up greater than you possibly think it could. So the, uh, the the food truck, is that a part of the restaurant group or is it affiliated with the restaurant group you're currently employed with? Yes. So let me, let me, I'll, I'll move through here. Yeah, yeah. And get, into, <laughs> get into Red Hook Lobster Pound. So Mexico, we opened up another, uh, that one full service location. I'm um, oh, sorry. We opened up uh, the one brick and mortar location, which was quick service. And it kind of, as I was, we were working on our next location as I was, right before I exited when we decided that we would go into a, into full service. So you opened um, a fast casual Mexico location. So was that always kind of the plan with the food truck to scale into a brick and mortar to test the concept and scale into a brick and mortar? You know, I, not, I don't remember if that was actually always the plan, but that was something that definitely happened fairly, fairly quickly. Uh, I think it just seemed natural. Food trucks are again, food trucks are difficult. I think we realized pretty early on that at least in New York city, that it was, it wasn't going to last. Yeah. The city, the city's it's, there's still no legal place to vend from food truck right now. The cops can basically always come up to you and cite you for, for something in any location. Yeah. And plus food trucks so, being, I mean, there are the pros, there's less overhead, there's less people to have to manage, but the, it comes with the cons of having, like you said, to go to a place to cook all this stuff into to cook it there, to package it all up, to unpackage it. There's so many moving parts, so much time that goes into so much added time that goes into operating a food truck than a brick and mortar where you can just take things out of the refrigerator. You know, and just put it right there. And there's so much 
fewer logistical things going on uh, with a brick and mortar that, yeah, it might be more overhead. It might be more to enter into that that field, that brick and mortar. You might have you might need more capital behind you to pull it off. But the the time that you save with a brick and mortar uh, in the systems, you know, like it's so much easier because it's fixed. Uh, so yeah. it is something to take into consideration. Um, I think I think we learned early on. Um, as soon as we built the second food truck, I think we really learned learned then. It's like, hey, you know what? This food trucks are a fantastic way to get into a business, particularly if you're going to be a uh, a chef owner type situation. It's very difficult to get out of that chef that chef owner situation. So I think now, even now, when I look at food trucks, a lot of the of the ones that are still around and successful are being still operated by that one person because you're not paying an hourly staff to come in and, at, at six in the morning and get the food truck ready. Um, and then think of, uh, and all the other logistics go in. So, so you really are kind of buying yourself a job there when you get a truck. It's yeah. like, if you're going to, if you want to make money on this truck, then you're going to have to work the truck all the time. Mm-hmm. As soon as you step outside of that and start paying someone else to do, to do the work that you were just doing, it doesn't, it, it, it loses the profitability. Mm-hmm. Um, we learned that pretty early on. Realized, hey, a brick and mortar is is the only way that we're really going to be able to scale. Well, you just, just volume. Like you can like only right, do exactly. so much volume through one window. Like there's exactly. a bottom, there's a bottleneck there. Like in and that volume that you do that you can get will sustain you well. But as soon as you have to add, you know, salaries to that that bottom, you know, that that steady flow, that governed flow of of business until you until you start adding other trucks to the the fleet you really can't you know think you know yeah exactly what you're saying um so okay so what point did you get get out of the food trucks and start working in the the brick and mortars and and focusing on all these other these other concepts so we let one of the food trucks go really we because the food trucks were slowing down and again we saw kind of that it that it took so many man hours to run the food truck um we basically took the moment at some point we actually took our our first food truck off the street and used it mostly for catering events because again, this, it came down to an hour's thing. It's like this, these six, they get on the truck at 6am and get home at, you know, get done cleaning the truck at 8pm for a three hour lunch service. The numbers just don't work unless you're doing it yourself. Um, so we opened up our, our quick service location on seventh Avenue, which did fair, which did fairly, fairly okay at the time. And we also learned a lot there again with transfers and commissary. Uh, and at this point I was, I had become the director of operations for, for Mexico. I was essentially implementing systems company-wide and, uh, both in the food trucks, the catering business. And I really had kind of moved everything over to, to do Google docs at this point. So we're doing and creating like our own little, what year Google was it doc at this system. time? Cause you started 2008. You said maybe we're looking at like 2010, 2011 at this point. Yeah, it's probably 2011, 2011 ish, okay. 2000. Okay, so uh, now you're the director of operations for Mexico, the brick and mortar. Uh, how long did that opportunity last? I was there until 2013, and I kind of exited right at the end. We were about to actually do another kind of expansion. Um, Mexico, the owners of Mexico had taken on some more investment money, and were about to open up a new location, a new full service location, which I was, uh, I spent a lot of time with the owner, uh, kind of going through how that was going to function and what was going to be different about that than, than our quick service location. And, and, uh, that's, 
that's so we I really started ramping up that that whole process that restaurant we did all the numbers for that and we again we just uh the, tom and i the owner there designed designed that kitchen and and we we honestly made a couple of the same mistakes again and against my better judgment i would like to think but same thing we just maybe didn't didn't plan for uh how busy it would be but i left right before that i left right before that restaurant opened uh, because there was money coming in and, and it was just the company was, was, was starting to change and become a little bit, it just felt like it didn't need me so much anymore. Okay. And that's kind of when, and at the same time, Susan, the owner at Red Hook Lobster Pound had been speaking with me and it seemed like they were in a place where I could really be effective. Okay. So Red Hook Lobster Pound existed at this point, uh, different owners or is the same, are these restaurants related somehow? No, different different owners. Um, I've known I met Susan in the food truck world. Okay. Uh, Red Hook Lost Japan had a food truck. Got you. Early on as well, right around I think the same time as us, right around 2010, they they kind of came out with their food truck. And I I known her for for years, and we've we kept in touch. And they were at a place where they wanted to to grow. Um, well, actually, they should say they're a place where they had grown. They were, and they really needed, they really needed someone to come in and and, and help everything function better. Okay, and a little bit smoother. Um, and that's when, and again, Mexico really felt like it was kind of ready to to move into the next phase, and and it, and it felt like a good jumping off point for me. Okay, and I still keep really good. I still keep in touch with Tom and those guys over there too. And they're it's uh those guys are great. Um. But yeah, so when I moved over to I moved over to Red Hook Lobster Pound as their director of operations, and they they really started as a they started in two thousand nine, literally only selling live lobsters in, in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Okay. Which, if you know anything about Red Hook, Brooklyn, at, at, in two thousand nine, there was it was really just it's still very hard to get to, but it, there was just no one there. It's a very small town. Okay. Or a very small part of Brooklyn and difficult to difficult to get to, and not a ton there. Uh, but when I showed up, they had transitioned that location into uh, doing lobster rolls, and they were doing a lot of uh, these these uh, festivals. They're like semi-permanent pop-ups that happen a few times a, a month in New York City. They're doing a lot of business out of, out of those. They're also doing these weekend events called Smorgasburg, which they do here in Brooklyn, which are these huge uh, food artisanal food um, fairs that happen on the weekends during the summer. Okay. And they had a food truck and they had a catering business. And uh, we were just, we, op- we were just opening up at Red Hook Lost Pond, a location in Lower East Side at the time. And uh, there was a location in Montauk, which had opened up the, the year previous before I got there. So that's kind of what, in a commissary. So that's kind of what I walked into. Um, and they were doing fantastic business but i don't think they really they were still texting you know handwritten notes and handwritten inventories from from all these locations every night they were going to the owner and so they had the volume they had the good business cash flow but they weren't their systems weren't locked down exactly it was just kind of running a little bit a little bit rampant okay which is a good problem a good problem to have and it, it was again for me it was like hey look think of this these guys they don't know where they're making money or how they're making money but they know there's more money in the bank than what's every, going out. Yeah, every year than yeah, than yeah. Every, that's going what's going out. And I think I could really be I could really be helpful there. So I was really intriguing to me to, to um, seeing that 
know, I, cause I felt like I had solutions for a lot of these problems. So that's, that's like how, that's kind of where I, uh, again, what I walked into there. So and the first thing I did there was kind of what I would learn to mix Q, or in which I basically just, because we didn't, we didn't want to spend a lot of money on buying software or anything yet. So we figured out what the problems really were. I just basically Google, Google drive and Google sheeted our entire, everything. We use that for basically everything there for the first, first year or so. Yeah. That's a huge impact. A lot of people don't realize that the whole Google platform, um, I don't want to say it. I want to say it's free, but as you start adding more people onto that platform, I think for me, it's free because I'm a one person. Uh, but I think you have to start paying a fee, but it's not much. Like what, what are you paying a month for the, to have access to the Google suite for business? It can't be. We're enough. actually, we're grandfathered in because we've been using it for so long. Oh, okay. But it's, it is, it's so, it's still super reasonable. And it's, it has to be absolutely the most, if, if Google went away, even to this day, if Google went away, I would, I think it would destroy, it would destroy so many businesses. <laughs> yeah. But seriously, it, it, you know, it's all, everything you need right there, file sharing documents, you know, if anybody has a smartphone, they can access the operations manual. You can communicate to anybody you need to communicate to. It's a great suite of tools that people don't leverage enough in this industry. And I really don't think it's much, if anything, to uh, have small business. I think maybe like $10 a month for like, like, you know, a handful of people to be using it. I, I it's really don't cheap. quote me there. It's really cheap. Um, yeah, it's affordable. All right. So let, let's kind of drop some nuggets on us, some, some big evolutionary points from coming onto the lobster pound. Um, sorry. Yeah. The lobster pound and uh, to where you are today, how have you grown? What are the biggest lessons you've learned in the time you've spent the past like five years you, you spent with the lobster, the lobster pound? Yeah. So again, coming into a completely different situation than when I was at, I, I think the biggest thing, I think the immediate goals were, okay, just let's figure out the putting my, personal systems in place for PARs and inventory and, and how we're going to communicate with each other, et cetera. Um, but then the next big step was, was figuring out who was making the money and, and where, where were all our costs going uh, and really kind of try to, to try to, to look at what, what, what are our actual food costs at each location? What are our actual labor costs at each location? And I, that took a lot longer than I thought. And actually I think it's, it took, we really went through a few iterations. Okay, we basically had nothing. It was kind of like uh, they all in like one QuickBooks file, which was sort of kept up as well as the owner could keep it up. And again, it was mostly like, hey, we have more money in the bank than we did than we did before. We're making money. Yeah. Which again, it's a good a good place to be at. <laughs> um, it could definitely be worse. Um, but it took it took a, I think the biggest hurdle there was was really taking all these these venues and and trying to make sense of that. We first tried moving everything to QuickBooks and we ended up, we had like eight different QuickBooks files uh, at, at one point, just, we had so many revenue streams coming in from, from the various markets we were doing, the food truck, the catering, the Lower East Side location, the Montauk location. We had just, we, at some point in here during this time, we opened up a, a location in a food hall on, on 45th street, which is like a beer, a beer slash oyster bar that we did okay. up there. Um, which was, which was really, really fun. Um, but so, so we could, we we're going through iterations for the finances. QuickBooks just became, was so difficult for us to, to handle. And, and Again, eight eight different QuickBooks files. There's a lot that can go wrong. So there. yeah, I mean, there's a certain point where there's there's better solutions than QuickBooks than QuickBooks as you scale. So what what did you scale into? Did you start leveraging a different platform? 
So we got QuickBooks to a point where it kind of was working. But again, it was just a lot of work and we spent a lot of money on accounting. We actually switched over a couple years ago to a company called Restaurant 365. Okay. Which, which, which integrates all those things together and as, as well as the transfers and the inventory, which we're also doing. We're using Chef Tech for transfers and inventory while we were using QuickBooks. And uh, it was difficult. I mean, obviously, so we're transferring food in between stores and in between commissaries and there's recipes involved. So it's, there's just a, a lot going on. And again, we started to kind of get it together, but it took multiple iterations and it took years. And I think that's, it's for me, that was probably the biggest lesson is when you're really, when you're having a company that's has this main moving parts, a project like that can actually take multiple years. And I think if, it's hard for me to even think back and I'd be like, wow, multiple years to, to put these systems in place. This is actually going to be worth it. But we're now seeing the fruits of, the, of those labor. Which I think is a really important point. A lot of people, um, they, they rationalize themselves. I'm going to start operating like a big business when I become a big business. But it's so hard to to make those changes on a move. It's like trying to change a tire on a flying airplane, you know, like, you know, when the, the, when the, when the machines in the air are moving to have the time to go back and to, to put those systems in place, it's so much easier to treat your small business like a big business when it's small. And the day that you're opening to have these systems in place and to slowly be building on these systems over time, then trying to just drop all these systems and squeeze them into a moving operation. When you have eight locations, it's not easy to do. Um, yeah, what? hard choices, easy life. I mean, <laughs> yeah. In, in this in this sense, just you know, mostly from ignorance. I don't think I think a lot of people come by it honestly. They just don't think they're going to be that successful. And, and before you know it, the business kind of runs away. It's like, wow, how yeah. all these? How did how did this happen? How did yeah. we get this? How did we problems get so to have, so but, fast? Um, so, yeah. So I'm I'm curious. Restaurant 365. They've actually been emailing me wanting to collaborate, um, and I'm very shy when it comes to partnering with tech companies, just because I'm very careful to not just promote anything to my audience. So wh- why make that decision? What was it about 365 that really appealed to you? So the fact that the accounting was integrated with the inventory and the inventory transfers, so we're moving food around to companies which typically had to be its own journal entry in two different books. I really, anything had to be its own journal entry in two different books. And again, we had eight books. So this made it as simple as, Hey, we're going to move this, we move this to here. And then automatically take, would take care of those, of, you know, all of that. So it was going to simplify our operations. Uh, Instead of also, instead of, you know, trying to do some funky import export thing from QuickBooks or chef tech or, or whatever you're using for, for inventory. So it seemed like it was going to be a really good, seamless uh, op, uh, option. And I think in a lot of ways, it's really helped us. Still, the 365 is still sort of, you know, working out some of the, the kinks on the, particularly on the inventory side and the food cost side. I think they really are strong at the accounting. Cool. So we one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the show so bad is because you wrote me um, – after listening to the Kerry uh, Bringle episode, uh, which was a great episode on branding, uh, he also started talking about when we got into the tech conversation uh, that he's leveraging Square and that he's staying with Square, I, th- I believe, in that he's using a different company for the kitchen display. And you, I guess your asshole started to pucker a little bit when you started hearing all these things that he was doing and you decided to write me saying, you know, I had a cringe uh, when listening to uh, some of the things that Kerry's doing. Um, I don't know. I'm paraphrasing. Um, I hope I'm not putting words into your mouth. Do you want to take it? No, from that's, yeah, that's, that sounds, that sounds about right. I, 
Yeah, well, was, uh, that's a perfect way to, to put it. I, <laughs> I, I cringed. Um, I was like, oh, man, it's just – and I just – the first thing that came to my head is, is I'm wondering if he's asking the right – he's asking the right questions. Uh, and I don't, I don't you know, propose to be a, an expert on, on POS systems, but I've dealt with a good amount of them at this point. So you use Square in uh, uh, Mexico, yeah? I didn't use Square in Mexico, but we use it currently for our 45th Street location okay. at Red Hook. Okay. And, and we also use it at our other food hall location because the, the, the food hall owners there require everyone to use, to use Square. Okay. Um, I've been trying to get them to switch from Square, but uh, that's maybe get into that later. Um, but I've used Square on our on the food truck here and and that for Red Hook, and it it does a, a pretty good job, particularly with mobile platforms. It's obviously super easy to set up, super easy to order. Um, the The payment scheme is is very easy to understand. It's just a flat rate. It's two point seven five. There's no um, price per swipe. So, so to get specifically to your question, when, when I heard this, the care Bringle thing, and he said, oh, I'm going to use square and it sounded like he was doing, I think I remember the hearing early in the interview that he was doing a large amount of covers and the yeah. cover it's barbecue. I'm assuming the cover, the average check is fairly high. Yeah. So one of the first things that, that popped in my head was, well, if he's doing, if he's doing a decent amount of money, um, unless he's managed to negotiate a great rate with square, which, you know, maybe he has, but typically um, the square, you know, square starts at 2.75 a swipe and you can get the thing come down. But in my experience, we, we do a fair amount of volume with square and then we had trouble getting them to come down below uh, 2.5. So again, very easy to understand. You swipe the card and it charges you 2.75% of each or whatever the total transaction is, mm-hmm. but how it's, so that makes, that seems simple and easy. Um, and if you're a, if you're a, a coffee company, it can be great. Cause you know, you're selling a $2 cup of coffee, right? Yeah. And, and you want to say credit card, you don't want to have the sign up that says, you know, Hey, you have to have a $10 minimum or whatever. Yeah. Um, you swipe the card and it charges you, you know, 2.75% I guess of $2, that's like $4, five, five dollars. Yeah. Five, five, yeah, it's like five, five cents, five and a half cents or something. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, again, 2.75% of the, of the swipe. The issue though is, you know, if you're a, if you're a coffee shop, um, I'm just, just kind of alliterate how these two different pricing schemes work. If you're a coffee shop and you use a processor like, like toast, Toast works on a an interchange plus model, so they they charge you a percentage rate for your card swipe, but plus a fifteen cent or whatever the charge are going to be ten percent fifteen cents per swipe. Now, if you have a large check average, that may not you know that may not matter. The, the fifteen cents may not matter. But if your coffee shop was five cents um, for your swipe with with Square is now costing you 20 cents. An extra, yeah, 20 cents, which is now 10% of your of your revenue. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone would ever agree to paying, you know, 10% uh, the revenue. So so that's that's the one that's the one again on a small check average side, that's where I would be like, hey, you got to be real square might work out great for you with a small you have a small check average cuz you can accept credit cards, it won't cost you a ton of money. Um, 
and using toast to process those tiny charges who actually cost you a ton of money. Yeah. And again, there's, so there, I know that there's ways that if you're a coffee shop that there's credit card processors who will work with you and say, Hey, let's try to figure out a solution. If you're going to be doing a lot of small charges, anyway, so, but for Carrie Bringle, kind of had the opposite problem. I'm assuming he's doing a large amount of volume, large check averages, and he's still going with square, which to me is, to me says, well, man, you're paying, you know, paying 2.75%, which is of a high credit card rate. And I know for a fact if you're, that if you're, that you could go from using uh, square to using toast, toast is going to charge you a much smaller percentage rate. Than, than 2.75. And yeah, they're going to charge you 15 cents a swipe, but that's not going to make a dent in, in your, your $50 check average or whatnot. Maybe right. not $50, but you know, you're looking to spend at least $15 if you're getting like a brisket and a couple size minimum. Right. I'm assuming. Yeah, um, exactly. I would assume so too. So you're going to go out alone. You're probably not. You're probably going to go with your friends, right? So that check average is probably going to be near $100. Uh, yeah. And plus they have beer, you know, like, so... Yeah, you know, it adds, it adds up fast. It adds up quick. And again, I think that we'll continue on. So, so anyway, the, the, one of the cool things and why I wanted to get you on the show is because the, the four most recommended POS platforms on the show are Square, Toast, uh, Breadcrumb, and Revel. And a lot of what, you know, I don't claim to be an expert either, but I do notice trends. And what I've found is that Square tends to do best with small operations that have very simple menus and one thing that uh carrie has is a very simple menu he doesn't have a big menu He's, he does a few things really well you know brisket uh pulled pork ribs and a couple sides like in a sandwich you know like there's very few like maybe whole chicken i don't even think they do whole birds but like point is there's it's a very simple operation so he chose a simple platform and square don't get us wrong has a lot of great features or is good for a lot of operations uh low ticket uh averages and simple operations tends to be the the niche uh startups uh restaurants or, or cafes that don't have a lot of startup capital because it's there's no initial fees really to get started using it correct um so don't get us wrong square is a great platform and it has it serves its its audience but uh, what, I, guess, I guess the question is at what point does it not make sense to use square uh, and maybe w- at what point does it start making sense to use toast? And according to you, it sounds like when when those ticket averages are higher, uh, and you have a little bit more complex of a menu or operation. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I think I think that's right. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I'm not an expert either. I just want people to be able to make sure that they're asking themselves the right asking the right questions when they're when they're going to choose a POS. Because I think I learned the hard way that that. You know, if you don't if you don't ask the right questions early on, you might end up having to make a change later. The other the road, so. yeah, the other variable that comes into this too, and the the Carrie Bringle episode, he was looking to get a kitchen display unit, and uh, he was going to another company to that that uh that plays well, I guess, with Square to to do that. I'm assuming to go to two separate services to uh to have a kitchen display and have that integrate with the POS is going to be a much more expensive than just have it going with a, a platform like toast which is what you chose that offers the 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 um the kitchen display as a, a plugin or as an add-on maybe i'm well, wrong yeah so well let me, let's yeah i definitely want to talk about that let me let's let me talk to you let's finish up the 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 money side of things, like I guess what this will cost you and going into the feature side, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I just did some, some easy digging. Um, 
when it comes to a larger check averages versus small check averages, and I know the Carrie Bringles uh, operation is super simple, and Toast is fully capable of doing of running the operation. Uh, the KDS system is very, very, very simple. We use that. We use that at our. What does KDS uh, stand for? Just in case anybody's not sure. Uh, kitchen display screen. Thank you. Um, anyway, we can get into that a little bit. But and it's, and it's, there's like kind of a case study for for one of our restaurants. We basically our blended rate between all our credit cards with Toast is, and that includes you know Visa, uh, Mastercard, American Express, and they, those all kind of have uh, Amex has a different rate. Uh, Keen, Keen, so they name without the card there has a different rate. So this, so our full blended rate ends up being around uh, around two point two percent for for all the credit card transactions that we that we do. Now, if you're doing, if you we were to use Square at that location, we'd be paying closer to two point seven five, right? Or like maybe even two point two point five if we negotiated the deal. But let's use two point seven five to make the point. Um, if you're doing, if you're doing two million dollar a year in credit card processing, if you're a medium size or you know, you're, you're doing well, or you have multiple locations, uh, that's going to cost around fifty thousand, fifty five thousand dollars in credit card fees with with Toast. I'm sorry, with Square, fifty five thousand dollars with with Square, and that's going to, if using like my numbers that from Toast, it's going to be closer to forty four thousand dollars a year. So it's an eleven thousand uh, dollar a year, yeah, difference. So and you multiply apply that out times the the, the course <clears throat> the, co- the whole course of your POS system. We're talking about you know fifty thousand dollars plus in actual money that could be could be in the bank, or that you're sacrificing because of the simplicity of using toast, or or whatever the reasons may be. I just, I think, Wait, and obviously, your I just want to make sure we got that right. The simplicity of using Square is that what you were going to say? Sorry, the simplicity okay. of using Square. Okay. Um, and I just think everyone just needs to make sure that they're kind of asking like these 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 questions of how are these credit card rates going to actually affect me in the next five years? And maybe it makes sense for someone who doesn't have any money and is literally just trying to get selling, you know, scrapping to put together enough money to buy a, a POS in the first place to use something like Square for a little while, but. Once you transition into the place where you're doing Volume. larger numbers yeah. and you have larger ticket averages, you got to start thinking like, hey, if you don't have the, you know, Square is also pretty re- fairly reasonable and they have their own fees, um, which which can add up and they have their own problems. Um, but as a purely on the processing side, you really need to make sure that you're thinking about how that plays out. And then again, like we mentioned, sorry, do you want to finish your thought? No, that's that's the like. You know, and and Toast has the options, the plugins, the the added features that you're going to have to go to an out another party to to get these functions. Where that's all in house. Yeah, as you start adding on these functions, the the cost of Toast goes up, but is it at a rate that's lower than the cost of outsourcing to different? Uh, you know, now you have like not not to mention now you have a bunch of different transactions going on. Uh, and it's hard to keep track of all those transactions. Did I pay that guy this week? Did I pay this guy this week? If you can keep that all under one roof. Uh, it's more simple, and I, I'm assuming it's, it's probably more affordable too. Well, Square's Square's KDS system is actually pretty affordable. Um, it's uh, fresh KDS charges ten dollars a month for two KDS screens, and I think fifteen dollars a month if you're using more than two. Um, I, the issue with it is it's just very, very basic. It literally just pops a, a ticket on the screen, and then you 
tap it and it goes away. It doesn't, the two screens don't interact. You can't fulfill parts of the order. Um, it's, it doesn't feel very, uh, occasionally for some reason, occasionally the ticket won't show up. It's very, 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 very basic. Um, and I, I have a, I would have a hard time believing it would work in a, in a, act, a really busy restaurant. Uh, it, it's, it's cost effective. It's very cheap. You know, $15 a month square. Uh, Toast absolutely charges more than, than that to use a KDS functionality. Plus, you have to buy the hardware, which is, you know, it's, it's against $1,000 per screen or somewhere along those lines, $1,000 to $2,000 per screen. Um, you're, using, you're using like a Samsung Galaxy with the fresh KDS. So it's cheaper. Those things fall off, those mounts, they break easier. And again, I just want everyone to kind of understand that, you know, the questions they should be asking when they make these decisions. I don't have the answers and each business is different, but these are some of the things you should be, yeah. should be thinking. And, and Toast, Toast does have a lot, a lot better integration um, and they have, they have a lot more systems flushed out internally. Their new Toast Go handhelds work, work fantastically. Um, their KDS screen works great. The, uh, their, their terminals are fantastic. The reporting is is, is uh, fairly robust. See, that's one the thing I want to I want to put emphasis on is reporting, and I think a lot of people don't weigh re- reporting as heavy as, as heavily as they should. Uh, and I'll, the reason for that, why they should weigh reporting very heavily, is because one of the the biggest lessons I've learned on the show, uh, when it comes to being excellent, it's about having setting standards, having standards, and then tracking. Uh, tracking people the data and what's going on to make sure that you know you can use all that reporting to set standards to really get granular about what's happening in your business and paying attention to the numbers not just what's coming in what's going out but server performance and things of this nature like ticket number like i'm really getting super granular granular about where the money who's bringing the money in uh who's turning the tables the fastest um you know you don't want to get to the point where you're you know letting all those like little minute details govern everything, but it's good to help you make decisions. Um, and it, it kind of backs the whole trust and track management style of, you know, empowering, giving them the culture, trusting your people, and then being able to track all these little things that are happening. So you can then know when to come in and enter, you know, in, in, uh, uh, address an issue, but people, I don't think pay enough attention to the reporting. And if you do, you can do a lot of powerful things. And I don't know. I mean, how squares reporting compared to toast? Yeah, so this is I think a good job, a good place to talk about like the actual the actual features and the depth of each POS to kind of go over the, the monetary side of things. In my opinion, Square you know does a great job with being mobile, super super simple, but it's lacking a lot of things that a full service restaurant would absolutely struggle with, and even some we even we struggle with on our, some of our quick service locations, which is what it doesn't have. Has I know that they're, re- they're releasing a beta which includes some of these full service features, but given the, my personal history with square and, and the amount of the slow progress they've made with their current system, I have a hard time believing that they're really going to have the resources to, to flush out a full, full service, full featured POS system. Cause I think any POS system that newly gets in the game, toast included, it's taken them, you know, years and years and years of, of really aggressively trying to catch up to the Aloha micros, guys which i so think are those guys are starting to you know uh i think they're taking a dip i think these cloud-based bos systems are really starting to take over the market um but anyway it's a different conversation for a different day i guess yeah so so toast is missing you know they don't have table management uh so you can't you, you don't know you know where you can't basically 
see who's on what table. Toast, have Toast does not lane. have table management. Excuse me. You said Toast does not have table management. I'm sorry. I keep. I keep. Yeah, I thought that didn't sound right. <laughs> Square does not. Square does not have table management. They, their cash handling and security features are really, uh, are really aren't flushed out. So there's a lot of opportunity for even for even theft there. Um, just as far as like the report in the back end, being able to see the no, being able to see no sales and, and clears and and again or server performance and and those kinds of things are, aren't really aren't really there. You still can't put other payments. There's not an other payments button in Square. So if you want to pay with uh, if you were using Grubhub or, or Seamless uh, or Caviar or something like that, and you need to pay with another payment, you basically have to put it as a notes on in Square, which is incredibly difficult to track on the reporting sides so when you're doing your accounting at the end of the month to figure out where all your money is supposed to be coming from. It takes a long time to figure that out. Um, so, but again, so the beauty in, in Square is it's it's simplicity and it's easy to understand pricing scheme and. And that can, and it's, it's also very inexpensive. Um, Toast, on the other hand, I think what's nice about it is compared to like an Aloha or a micro. So I feel like it's a real good um, summer between micros and Aloha and Toast. I feel like they've really kind of managed to be a cloud POS system that is fairly full featured, And it absolutely has its flaws, but they are also aggressively, I'd say they're aggressively getting better or at least they have up, up to this point um has a less straightforward pricing scheme you know you're paying it you're paying a a interchange plus model which basically means you're going to pay the interchange fee which is what the banks charged uh each other to move the money around and toast takes a little percentage on top of that and then you're going to pay 15 cents or 10 cents or whatever you negotiate with toast um the hardware is more expensive and the monthly fees really do start to add up because Toast does bang you for every everything you want to do. It's like you want to you want to use the the handheld units. That's that's you know that's going to cost you this much a month. You want to open your API up to to something. Okay, API is twenty five dollars a month. Want to use the KDS screens? Okay, that's another fee per month. Plus you got to buy the hardware. I think what's really important in thinking about those add-ons is that those those things. Well, first of all, you can scale into it as fast or as slow as you want to, depending on where your business needs are and depending on where you are financially. Uh, but what are you saving on time and uh, shrinkage, for example, and uh, you know, like the handheld. Like what one of the biggest challenges for the front of house is people uh, waiting to get on the POS, right? And I don't know about you, but beyond like one or two minutes, whatever I had in my mind is gone. I forgot it or I have to like reference my notes. And when you have that handheld and you're putting things right in, you're going to have fewer mistakes. You're going to have faster, you know, it's going to like it, it, it removes the, the bottleneck at the, the, the POS. Like there's a lot of oh, yeah. operational efficiencies that you get. So the, the question is, how do I put value on those operational efficiencies? How, how many fewer mistakes are there in the kitchen, how many, how, how much faster are those tickets coming out because of the KDS? So the, yeah, you know, look at all these things and be like, what's the time worth that we're saving? Are we making fewer mistakes? Not again is where the, the reporting comes into play. Cause now you can look at the reporting before you were implementing these tools and after, and if you can see a, a, a real change in operations, then, then you can justify it. Yeah. So um, we, one of the, one of the main things when we made a decision to go toast, the KDS was super important to us. And I, uh, just because, uh, We'd use a KDS, uh, our, our GM had used a KDS at, uh, at Mexico when he was there, actually. Um, and uh, it was fantastic to track the ticket, to be able to track ticket times. 
And so one of the main things we were looking for with, with the POS was, okay, we got it. We got it. We really want to focus on our ticket times. And that was going to be really, we thought, I personally thought it was going to be a, a huge uh, factor in really getting the kitchen focused on, on, on that kind of customer facing issue. And it was going to cost money because we were changing from another POS system, which was going to be painful. So we already purchased the hardware. Uh, and I had to fight tooth and nail to be like, Hey guys, I promise you, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be a good decision after having purchased the POS system that we didn't like. So I already made the one bad decision. Now I'm saying, guys, we got to do it again. It's going to be worth it. You gotta, that you bad decision, me. by the way, was lighthouse. Uh, Harbor touch, Harbor touch. That's what it is. Harbor touch. Yeah. Sorry. We don't need to go um, into that. I've heard bad things. I would suggest just staying away from that platform. No, well, I mean, they, they invented this, this free to cheap hardware thing. So I got to give them credit. They really, yeah. they really, this, bu- this bundle, hey, you don't get the POS unless you do the credit card process in us too. They really invented that model, yeah. which has its own, its own problems. Most mainly being that once you negotiate the, your credit card with, with, with them and now you have their hardware, now you can't really change, now you can't change your credit card processing rate without changing your hardware and you can't change your, and even changing your hardware that have you locked into contract for for five years. So yeah. it's going to cost you a ton of money. I don't mean to out. complicate the conversation through another POS in here, but no. um, any, but you wrap up your, 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 the thought that you had before I cut you off there. Sorry. Um, with Harbor touch. No, the, the, with, I think you were talking about toast or no, uh, so the, the, yeah, the the so yeah, obviously I made a mistake and now we were saying, okay, I was trying to, I really had to rally the, the troops here and, and then frankly stick my neck on the line. Uh, I said, hey, guys, you've got to trust me. We've got to do it. I really fought hard. And eventually the owners relented. And it, the KDS system in the kitchen has been one of the, uh, one of the best things that, one of the best changes that we've made in the, in the full service location. And really, really enabled us to, even from my house, you know, I could check ticket times. And, and our managers know, even when they're not there, and when they're there, kind of how the kitchen is functioning at any one time. And it's really allowed us to be proactive and, and has improved our, improved our entire operation. Awesome. So, uh, so that's kind of how we ended up with toast. Uh, I was again, one of the big, one of the big features and that, that feature has actually continued to improve. But, you know, again, the questions I think when you should be asking when you're even when I was asking myself a toast is okay. Once you add all these features, the KDS, the handhelds, the, the, um, uh, the API integration. I'm sure there's a bunch of other stuff that they will gladly charge you for as well. How do those fees stack up year over year as well, combined with the credit card fee that they're going to they're going to charge you? And again, once you once you buy the hardware and you sign up with Toast and you negotiate that credit card rate, after you do all that, you kind of lose your 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 bargaining chips. You already bought the hardware. You've already you're in for toast. And so I think it's really important if you're going to go into a, a POS system where the software is, is bundled with the credit card processing, you really need to get multiple quotes from other credit card processors and really bargain hard at the beginning. Cause once you're in, you know, they base, they know how hard it is for you to change POS yeah. systems. And, and that, I, that is going to be a bigger, uh, uh, impact on your operation. The, 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 
bigger your check average is going to be too, which is something else to keep in mind. If you're a small, yeah. smaller check average, it won't impact you quite as much. But also yeah. keep in mind, like, what is your average? You know, are you a steakhouse? You know, like that will make a big difference. Um, or like yeah, credit, fine dining. That credit card processing rate is again when you're going to sign on the dotted line. You really got to make sure you get multiple quotes. Yeah, because because that you're gonna, that credit card rate with you is is basically going to stick with you for the life of the POS system. So if you make a bad I don't think Toast is out to screw anybody or anything, but if, if you don't negotiate hard at that beginning, once you sign on the dotted line, you buy all the hardware, you, you don't really have any room to negotiate. So make sure you do that, your, your due diligence up, up front with that. So are those all the questions we need to be asking ourselves uh, that you had? Uh, I think you gave me a list of questions that we should be asking ourselves. Did you, did you hit them all or are we missing a couple? Yeah. I mean, so I think the, the first one was what, you know, what are the features that I need now and, and might need in the future? Okay. I think it's important to try to, it's almost impossible to do, I guess, but to try to imagine where you might, what you might need in the future and try to imagine some, some, some possible growth. I think, again, that's still, that's a big ask for someone who doesn't, who's starting a, a business up or is a small business and doesn't know where it's going to go, but at least be aware of what the, of what the different features are and what, what each POS can, can offer. All right. What's the next question? Uh, total cost of the POS over the lifetime of the POS, which includes the cost of the hardware, the monthly fees that they're going to end up charging you. Absolutely. The, the credit card rate. Um, and I think, uh, I think that about, that about does it. But if you're signing any contracts, uh, to, you know, if you're not paying for hardware and they're saying, make sure if you're signing contracts that you fully understand what you're, you're, pay what you're going to have to pay out if you do need to make a change as well. Yeah. Uh, Adam, this has been a really great conversation. I think uh, it's, it's uh, uh, something that doesn't come up enough to this level of detail, uh, comparing and contrasting some of these POS companies. And like I said, the four most recommended POS companies on the show are Square, and this is in no particular order, uh, Square, Toast, uh, Breadcrumb, and Revel. Um, I want to get these four uh, platforms on the show and like maybe spend an hour with each of them really going into this, this detail to be completely frank. I haven't been quite sure which questions to ask or do even how to go about like really comparing these platforms. Um, so if you guys are listening to this and you have some other variables that we should be considering, let me know. I'll put together like a, a, a series of questions that I'll ask all these platforms and really just put them right up against each other to help you, uh, find out you know which one of these platforms does best with the, what type of restaurant concept. And, uh, I think that, we covered a lot today, um, and I, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on the topic and uh, for writing me and telling me uh, you, how you felt about the the episode with Carrie. Uh, great episode with Carrie, by the way. And there's a lot of great advice yeah. in that episode. I'm not even saying his advice with the, the technology was bad, but you know, there's just different opinions, and we need to hear them all. I mean, that's my job is to get this this kind of information to get this conversation going. So, so thank you for coming on the show, sharing your story. We're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we're gonna bust out a quick speed round. You, you good with that? yeah (laughs) all right let's do it let's do it everyone loves processing invoice after invoice it's the best (laughs) not really just the sight of a filing cabinet is enough to make you sick right it doesn't have to be that way with sorcery there's no more manually processing invoices by hand and no more cutting check after check with sorcery you can organize all of your accounts digitally scan your invoices and pay your vendors with just one click it is easy Sorcery offers fully managed accounts and statements reconciliation, so you no longer spend hours on the phone with your vendors and banks. That stinks. You now have the peace of mind knowing your accounts are being taken care of, and you can get back to work doing what you love. 
running unstoppable restaurants. Go to GetSorcery.com, that's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com, or call 1-866-830-0691. Mention Restaurant Unstoppable and receive 10% off your first three months. And say goodbye to your old filing cabinet and hello to the digital world with Sorcery AP Automation. To be unstoppable, most restaurants require a little extra capital from time to time it happens, right? Uh, when you need funding to like renovate or buy equipment or manage cash flow, you don't have time to just track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. And that is where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. And if you apply online, you'll get a decision right away, which is pretty awesome. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You'll never have to reapply to take out additional loans, and you only pay for the funds you use. Yeah, you're impressed, and I haven't even gotten to the impressive part. Cabbage has helped more than 130,000 businesses from every industry with over $4 billion in funding. Like, awesome. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company not once, but twice. Check out Cabbage at Cabbage with a K dot com slash restaurant unstoppable and you'll get a $50 gift card when you qualify. That's Cabbage, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash restaurant unstoppable. Line of credit is subject to credit approval, C terms and conditions. All Cabbage business loans are issued by Celtic Bank, a Utah chartered industrial bank member, FDIC. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Adam, is what is your it factor? A habit of trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, I'm a jack of all traits. All right. I can do a lot of, I do a lot of, I'm pretty good at a lot of things. I'm not great at at any one thing. (laughs) What is your biggest weakness? It's the same, same thing with jack of all traits. I have no like one honed skill that I can say, I'm I'm a master of this, this one amazing Thing. You know, I've noticed uh, one of the best skills to have in this industry is the ability to see the skills in other people. And you don't have to be the person that's amazing. You don't have to be the rock star. You don't have to be the super t- the talented chef or the, you know, you don't have to be the talent, but you do have to recognize the talent and know where to put those people in your business. And I think if you can do that, if you're okay at a bunch of things and you get out of the way, you know when to get out of the way and to provide opportunity to those who deserve it and can do a lot with it. That's what a recipe for success is in this industry. Um, personally, so much for yeah. a fast speed round. Uh, what's yeah. one question or thing you ask for uh, during the interview process? Uh, I always ask how people got into the industry, obviously. And then I always, I usually like to follow up with why are you still in the restaurant industry? Okay. Um, I think that I think that a lot of times I mean, it's it's a difficult industry, and you have to really really enjoy enjoy the the work. Okay. What is a current challenge today? We are constantly struggling with the seasonality of the restaurant, um, just because we sell a ton of you know we sell seafood within its kind of its main seafood, and I think people think summer in, yeah. in Maine and summer lobster and lobster rolls, and getting that dealing with that the up and down every year is, is very, is a constant challenge. We're in May right now. And so I'm feeling the ramp up of, you know, all of our locations are starting to kind of ramp up. Lobster bisque in the winter. I bet that yeah. was so. <laughs> it does. At least we sell a lot of chowder in the winter. So that's starting <laughs> that. to slow down, but everything else is ramping way up. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. 
Um, we, hmm. It's all. It's always okay for the customer to be wrong. I guess. Maybe in like a people send back lobsters all the time and I think are cooked really well or they're female lobsters and they have some roe and, and they, and they, they complain that they're not cooked properly or whatever. And, and we'll check them or obviously this happens in any restaurants, whether it's burgers or steaks or, and, uh, and it's nothing to get upset about. It's like, it's okay for the customer to think that that's how, you know, that's not right. And let's just try to make them happy. Yeah. But at the, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who's right or wrong. It just matters that people are happy. Um, right. Right on. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? I don't think we have any uncommon standards. I mean, at this point, I feel like, yeah, most of our things are, I would call standard. We, when we come in, we want the place to feel like you're on vacation. That's cool. So I think, I think that, that making sure that the, we try to teach our staff to, to keep that in mind is that these people are out to enjoy a nice, day and they want to feel like they're getting away from things. And we, we, we get that feedback a lot. So it's, it's encouraging to hear. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Um, a book I continuously go back to is called the obstacle is the way by Ryan holiday. All right. What's the biggest lesson from that book? Uh, the basic, basically it's basic to say that the, the obstacles are actually the good, meaningful part of life they're the thing that make everything um the things that make everything doing worth doing the difficult if it wasn't for the difficulty it wouldn't be you know you wouldn't get anything out of it you actually wouldn't be happy it's like those it's those it's those challenges that 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 makes you successful and it's those challenges that that make you overcoming those challenges that make you happy yeah and that reminds me so much of the saying cherish the process i feel like so many of us believe that you know success comes when we don't have to do the work and we're always chasing this world where we, we don't have to do the work and we can sit on a beach and uh, let you know all the systems and processes we created run the business which we we want to get to a point where we can step away from the business uh to go to a funeral or to go to a wedding but ultimately the the businesses that are the best are the people who cherish the work that cherish the obstacle that 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 love doing the the thing that, it, that and it's 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 living a life of loving the process of of going through the obstacle and embracing that the job that we do that are the best um so embrace it you know lean into it cherish it uh i think that's a huge lesson to be learned in this industry yeah absolutely i mean that the challenge is again overcoming them that's yeah. it is that's everything that's the whole reason to do anything it's, it's why it, it forces you to be without those you would never become successful yeah. i truly i truly believe that it's preparing you for success mm. share an online resource or a tool i guess google docs we talked about that earlier that would be i don't know what i would do without google docs share google. sorry share a um a piece of technology you've adopted. This is like a tangible piece of technology that's that's maybe tangible or a software that's in your your business, like a POS system. We spent a lot of time talking about that. That you've adopted and it's having a huge impact on your operation. Um, we we recently started using Slack, uh, which has been which has been really great for for the whole team keeping the communi- the team in communication. 
Beautiful. And this is the last question. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow and all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Uh, almost everything that's worth doing is going to be really difficult. So and it's kind of like we talked about earlier, getting yeah. into those things. That's everything good is going to be hard. Um, everything that seems like a, a negative is almost always a positive. You just maybe haven't realized it yet. And uh, make sure to take time and every now and then and, and, and reflect on the things that you've actually accomplished and your team is, is, is accomplished with you. I don't, I know I don't take enough time looking at the looking backwards and saying, Hey, look, look how much we really have done. Yeah. And so much of this industry is mindset. And once you realize that mindset of just being grateful and not necessarily always looking to the future and wanting what you don't have, but looking at the past to see what you have accomplished, like you said, what you have accomplished, what you do have today, just be grateful for what you do have today, that you have the choice to cherish this process that you, you know, have been chasing this dream of opening this restaurant to, to do whatever it is that you love doing. You have, you can do that and to be grateful that you can do that and not be resentful. Um, it's really so much to do with mindset. Uh, it's so powerful. Awesome stuff, man. This is a really valuable conversation great stuff today. Thank you so much for taking the time, Adam, to join us, to share your story, uh, to make us all just a little bit better and more unstoppable. Uh, We wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire and believe would make a great guest mentor on the show like you've made for us today. Yeah. I mentioned Tom over at Mexico. I think he'd be really interested to talk to He has a a completely different uh, perspective than I do. And and that company has gone on to do, you know, some, some kind of interesting things. So I think, from the financing side and how they got their restaurants built and all those things. I think it'd be interesting. Tom, look out. I'm coming after you and let the folks at home know, Adam, how can we connect with you? If we want to pick up a conversation, uh, maybe you have some, you know, a, a device on POSs. Somebody wants to talk POSs with you or anything for that matter. What's the best way to connect? Yeah, you can reach me at this is Adam Johnson at gmail.com. And you can also reach me on Instagram at this is a Johnson. Those are probably the two best places. That's not to, the uh, Instagram handle you gave me the first time we were talking. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> my. Uh, let's. I, I had a long story about that old Instagram name. It could be could be worse. At least it wasn't like you know sex vixen twenty three or something. Okay, I won't. I won't make you share it. I won't put you on. The spot. <laughs> All right. Uh, again, Adam, thank you so much for for joining us. And uh, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, Eric. Boom. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Adam Johnson, thank you for coming on the show, sharing your story and sharing your advice, sharing your recommendations. Uh, I think uh, the, the big takeaway for me in today's conversation is the idea of getting the experience in the industry before diving full on into going into culinary school. Make sure this is something that you really enjoy and it goes beyond just, oh, I like the way food tastes. I like eating out. Um, I mean, that is one way to get into the industry. But not necessarily the best way. You, you, you got to know that you love the work, the process. You got to cherish the process. You got to really be a freak of nature to excel in this type of atmosphere and to get into it for the right reasons. So make sure you're one of those freaks. Get the experience. Go work for somebody for free. Uh, make sure it's something you want to do in um, 
or you know get paid that's an option too uh but i think the, the path that adam took was great uh he found a mentor who coached him who uh told him what you know what it would take and uh he was interested in food trucks so he got his licensing uh and he found somebody who was crushing it and he went to go work for him and he and he took the initiative to uh let people know that he wanted growth and they gave him that growth and um just a really great path a, a path that we can uh mimic in our own lives for depending on where you are listening to this this episode uh, but also some really good advice and recommendations or just at the very least things to consider when choosing your pos and we talk a lot about you know we, we do a lot of recommending of pos's on the show but we really never dive into the nitty-gritty the things you need to be considering uh the, the different variables that come into play depending on concept and rest and, and pos platform so i'm happy that we spent a lot of time going into that today and uh if you disagree with anything that was shared today, or if there's a different angle, something we didn't consider, uh, you have my email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. That's Eric with a C. Uh, tell me, share share your knowledge with me, share your perspective, share your experiences with me. I, I, I want to learn more about this stuff. I don't claim to be an expert. I'm here to learn just like you. And uh, when you guys give me your feedback, and if you give me those clues, I can go and lean into those things and really provide more value for everybody. So don't be shy. Let me know if you have different opinions, different thoughts, things I need to be considering. And I want to get these four platforms on the show. Again, the four most recommended POS companies on the show. And this is in no particular order. Toast, Square, Breadcrumb, Revel, uh, all great platforms. Um, but different platforms serve different niches. Uh, they each have their strengths and weaknesses. And um, I want to get these guys on the show. I want to really give them a chance to talk about their unique selling propositions and what makes them special. Uh, I've had them on the show in the past. That was over a year ago. uh, And I really want to hone into these four platforms. Um, So if you guys can think of any questions I should be asking, things that you are curious about, let me know. I'll be sure to ask those questions when I get them on the show. And I'm affiliated with all four of these platforms. They all have an affiliate program. All that means is if I help them connect with a potential uh, customer, they just give me a little kickback for uh, saying, hey, thanks for helping us connect. It's at no extra expense to you. So if you are finding value in this podcast, you are learning things, you are being entertained, you are staying inspired, um, you know, uh, a, good, a great way to say thank you is just by using my links or at least, you know, write me an email, let me know that you're interested and I can help you pick the right platform for you. I'm more than willing to do that. Just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 476. That's today's episode. I'll link to those four platforms. Uh, so use those links. And thank you in advance. All right, guys. I'm talking too much. It's time to say goodbye. Thank you for sticking around this long. I love you all. Until next time, peace out.